over the, the past few decades, there has been a phenomenal growth in the cities in this world. It has been estimated that in 1800, only 3% of the world's population lived in a city. By 1950, this had increased to 30%. Then by the end of, the, of 2008, this figure for the very first time in the history of the world passed 50%. 50% of the world's population lived in a city. And it's predicted by 2050, 70% of the world's population will live in cities. And some of these cities are just mind-blowing in size. A mega city is defined as one that has a population of more than 10 million. So in 1970, there were only two of them. Two mega cities in the world. Now there are 39 of them. The largest of which is in Tokyo, with 38.8 million inhabitants. Can you get your head around that? We are living in the age of the city. But this is not a completely new phenomenon. Because actually in Genesis chapter 4, it describes the building of the first city. Like today, it led to amazing technological advancements. But also like today, it had a problem at its very heart. So this reminds us that wherever we live in the world, whether we're in a town or a city or a village or out on our own, we need to become part of a different city. One that's not built by human hands. So when you think about that this morning, as we read from Genesis chapter 4, following on from last week when we looked at Cain and how he killed his brother Abel and, what that ha- and, and, and how God responded to that. So we're going to break into the story in verse 17. So Genesis chapter 4, verse 17, if you want a Bible, you can get one. If not, just listen as we read it together. So Genesis chapter 4 and verse 17. Cain lay with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad, and Erad was the father of Mahuyel, and Mahuyel was what the father of Methushel, and Methushel was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play the harp and flute. Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain's sister was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech, 77 times. Adam lay with his wife again and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth saying, God has granted me another child in the place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son and he named him Enosh. At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord.
last week we saw that as a result of him murdering his brother Abel, Cain was driven from God's presence. Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden, verse 16 says. His sin had separated him, not just only, not only from his family, not only from the community, and, but also, ultimately, from God. And he went further from Eden, further from that place of communion with God. But Cain, just like all of us, still longed for community. And so as he was banished from the community where he grew up, he decided to set up his own. First of all, he started a family. Cain lay with his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Now, of course, if you're reading down through the Bible in Genesis chapter 4, one of the first questions you ask is, wife? Where did the wife come from? Now, they say if the Bible is true that Adam and Eve were the first couple in this earth, that this is where the human population all came from, then where did Cain get his wife from? Well, the answer, I think, if you flick over to chapter 4, or chapter 5, verse 4, is that after, after Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. So the Bible doesn't record all of the sons and daughters that Adam had, and Eve had. So, I think the simple answer to this issue is that Cain married one of his sisters. That generation actually wasn't the only one to do that. Because if you read on into the story of Genesis, you'll see that Abraham also married a half-sister. The daughter of his dad, but not of his mum. Now, clearly, this is not supposed to be the pattern for us today. Let's get that clear, okay? One of the reasons is for health reasons, because of the accumulated mutations in our DNA, then that kind of inbreeding causes a whole load of health problems. And you see that in isolated communities. But also because the law given by God to Moses prohibited this kind of marrying of close relatives, of all of the close relatives, not just uh, brothers or sisters. But this was at the start of the Bible, the, the, the world's population. And this is how Cain started his family. But he didn't just start a family. He also built, built a city. Cain was then building a city and he named it after his son Enoch. Now that name Enoch means initiation. It kind of suggests the idea of a new beginning. Something new was starting. The beginning of city life. Now, I had no idea about how that city looked, what size it was, or how it functioned, or what it looked like. But in some way, Cain sought to bring people together to live together in community, to work side by side, to share their resources, to share their strength, to become a community of people. And from the outside looking on, this city prospered. It was doing really well. Cain's great, 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 great grandsons, I had to work that one out really carefully, as described here the, as the founders of major technological advancements, but also cultural advancements. So there were advancements in agriculture. Jabal, he was the father of those who lived in tents and raised livestock. 
He developed that kind of nomadic lifestyle that allowed them to keep herds of all kinds of different animals. Then there were developments in music. As his brother Jubal was the father of all who played the harp and the flute. He was the, the first musician creating and performing beautiful music that delighted and impacted and touched people's hearts. Then there were developments in craftsmanship as well. As his brother Tribble Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron, founding metal industries. Working out how to produce those metals and then how to turn them into strong and useful tools for all kinds of jobs. And this is what happens when people come together in cities. Bringing large numbers of people together stimulates that kind of creativity. It expands human knowledge. Because it allows people to specialise in certain fields in a particular skill. And so they get better at it and better at it. And you see developments in that. And that's still the case today. Cities are the main driver of productivity in this world. Cities generate, today, more than 80% of the world's GDP. More than 80% comes from cities. And it's expected that this will continue to rise. So city life is good for human beings to develop and to innovate and to create and to be productive. So in many ways it looked like this society was thriving. It was doing really well. But underneath this outward prosperity, there was a huge problem. And this is illustrated for us in chapter 4 by Lamech, the father of these three inventors. First of all, Lamech redesigned marriage according to his own ideas. He married two women. Now, some of us guys here are thinking, why on earth would you do that? (laughs) Now, others may say, well, maybe not. Some people don't have a problem with this. In fact, I read that in over 50 countries of this world today, this is permitted. Polygamy is allowed. At least the men are allowed to marry more than one wife, not the other way around. That's because of the Muslim impact of most of those countries. Most, most of the reason that's, that's the time. But increasingly secular people are, are beginning to ask that question. I read a number of articles that were raising that issue. A couple of years ago in Brazil, a notary sparked controversy by accepting the civil union between one man and two women. And then in the States, there was a reality TV show called Sister Wives looking at that whole issue of polygamy. And that sparked a debate to ask if society can redefine marriage to include people of the same sex, then why just limit it to two people? But we don't believe that marriage is a man-made institution that we can just adapt or restructure or twist just to fit our own ideas. We believe marriage is something much more precious than that. 
Much more valuable than that. We believe that God ordained marriage. That God designed marriage. Remember, if you remember, if you were with us and we were looking at Genesis chapter 2, this is God's uh, definition of marriage. Chapter 2, verse 24. A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. God's intention for marriage was that one man and one woman would leave their old family connections and commit to giving themselves to each other in a lifelong, intimate, exclusive, faithful and loving relationship. That's marriage. Maybe you remember even though it was pointing to the future of of our marriage to Christ as the church. And messing with this, messing with God's design for marriage, always produces disastrous consequences. And this is what I believe the point of the polygamy stories in the Bible is. Because some people criticise the Bible saying, well, it must support polygamy. Because many of the the so-called heroes of the faith actually had more than one wife. But these stories are in the Bible to teach us how much of a mess is caused when people move away from God's design for marriage. For example, the family conflict between Abraham's wives, Sarah and Hagar. Or the jealousy and the suspicion between Jacob's wives, Rachel and Leah. Or the complete mess in King David's multi-wife family that include horrible things like rape and murder and rebellion. Or absolute disastrous consequences of Solomon's 700 wives and 300 concubines. And he was supposed to be the wisest man. And that just led him away from God and into idolatry. These instances, these stories are not in the Bible for us to follow and to copy, but to look at them and say, look what happens when people move away from God's design for life. Whenever we move away from God's plan, then sooner or later we're going to face disaster. God's design is always the best. It's always the stable foundation for our lives, for our families, for our society, for our country. We believe that God's will is always good, pleasing and perfect. But this city did not. This community did not. But Lamech did more than just trying to redefine marriage. He also committed ruthless murder. Look again at verse 23. Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. Lamech had been struck by a young man. We don't know the details about the circumstances of that attack or the seriousness of the injury or the age or the motivation of this young man. It could have been from a child right up to maybe somebody in in the 40s. All Lamech tells us is how he responded. Somebody hit him. 
And so he responded without any restraint, without any self-control. There was no attempt for him to try and understand what had happened, whether it was a mistake, an accident or whatever. There was no thought of him expressing mercy or forgiveness to this young man. There wasn't even a desire to seek a proportional compensation. You did this, so I'm going to do the same back to you. No, instead, in an act of complete, ruthless and excessive retaliation, Abbott went out and killed him. Took his life. And that's not all. Because remember last week when we saw that Cain, his great-great-great-grandfather, how he killed his brother Abel, and how Abel sh- Cain showed no remorse for that, but instead tried to cover up, and tried to avoid his responsibility in that. But Lamech went even lower than Cain did. Because Lamech didn't just try and cover up. He didn't just try and hide it. He didn't just try and duck from his responsibility. Instead, he proudly boasted about it. He sang a song about it to his wives. He took that gift of music and completely corrupted it and used it to celebrate this revengeful action. Even celebrating the fact that his revenge was even greater than that threatened by God if anybody attacked Cain. And that's the insight into the morality of the society. It not only permitted sinful behaviour, but it celebrated that sinful behaviour. It took God's standard of right and wrong and it turned it upside down. And it celebrated something that was tragic. And he boasted about something that he should have been ashamed of. Isaiah wrote about this happening in in his culture in his day. He said this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And I think we could say the same today. So this is the picture of the first man-made city. Outwardly, prosperous. Outwardly, doing great. Innovative, creative, productive, cultured, advanced. But inwardly, In its heart, it was corrupted by the sin in people's hearts that rejected God's design and gloried in their brutal self-centeredness. And sadly, this is a picture of the man-made cities that we see around today. Yes, they are amazing places of of mind-blowing research and development. Think of the developments in things like food production or medicine or transport or communication or technology. Even in our lifetimes, how much this world has advanced. Does anyone remember these things? Jonathan wouldn't have a clue what that is. That's a phone, Jonathan. You used to have to plug it in the wall, remember? And you used to turn that dial and wait for it to go back. And then turn the dial and wait for it to go back. And now this is what they look like. The iPhone X. 
face recognition software. More computing power than we could ever have imagined growing up. That's within my lifetime. I'm not that old. I didn't think anyway. And yet we still have the problem of the human heart. At our core, we're still rebelling against God's design for humanity. In our thoughts, in our attitudes, in our words, in our actions, we are still displaying a terrifying level of selfishness and self-centeredness that does what it wants, irrespective of the needs of others. And it often takes the wonderful advancements in technology and uses them to hurt other people. The Bible says that the reality is that no amount of education or progress or development will change us at our core. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? It's a really bleak picture for humanity. Very different from what you'll hear in the world today. I was listening to a programme on science, on news talk this week, and they were saying that again about how, how we're all getting so much better with education and advancement in, in science and technology. And I'm thinking, really? Do they not watch the same news that I watch? Do they not experience life? But I experience life. And yet there is hope for humanity. Because there's another kind of city spoken of in the Bible. Not one built just with human hands, with human desires at the core of it, but one that's built by God. Its foundation is actually mentioned here. Verse 25. Adam lay with his wife again and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. Saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. The story of God's relationship with man did not end with Abel's death and Cain's descent into depravity. Instead, God graciously stepped in again and gave Adam and Eve another son. And his name is Seth, which means granted or appointed. Because this boy was granted or appointed to be a substitute for Abel. To take his place, to start again a new family line that would seek after God. And this is what began to happen after Seth's son was born. Verse 26, at that time men began to call on the name of the Lord. And this would continue down through the family line of Seth with people like Enoch or Noah or Abraham and Jacob. And the list just goes on and on. Abraham, he answered God's call. And he left his home city of Ur. And he wandered through the land of Canaan because Hebrews 11 says this, he was looking forward To the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He left that man-made city with his man-made standards and morals behind. And he was going out 
looking for one that was, had God at the center. Built on God. Designed by God. And built for God. Remember the story that his nephew Lot couldn't wait for that to become a reality. So he was dragged back to the city of Sodom with absolute disastrous consequences on him and his family. But in faith, Abraham waited for the fulfilment of the promise of a God-designed and God-built city. And eventually, this led to the establishment of the city of Jerusalem as King David's capital city. God said about that city, that this is the city where I choose to put my name. Jerusalem was supposed to be the city of God. To be a a shining light in this world. Declaring the glory and the majesty of God. Drawing people to God in humble faith. So, for example, Psalm 48 says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. In the city of God, his holy mountain, it is beautiful in its loftiness. The joy of the whole earth. God is in her citadels. And he's shown her to be, shown himself to be her fortress. Jerusalem was supposed to be that city of God, but it failed miserably to live up to his calling. Instead, it rebelled against God. And it copied all the nations around it. Bringing the idolatry and the immorality of the nations around into its city. Even into its temple. And as a result, it was completely destroyed. But still God's plan and purpose for a city built by him and designed by him was not stopped. Because instead, Jesus sent his, God sent his own son, Jesus, to die on a cross just outside the city of Jerusalem. To pay for our sins, to build a new community of people who would call out to him in repentance and faith. A, pe- a people who would be a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And if we put our faith in Christ, then that's who we are today. Whatever our nationality, whatever our background, whatever our location, that's our identity. As a church we've been called to live in this world as a different kind of city. A radically counter-culture community. Whose architect and builder is God. So we're called to live by God's standards, not by the standards of this world. We're called to follow His word, to be led by His Spirit, to honour His name, to seek His kingdom, to hunger and thirst for His righteousness, to express His love, declare His glory, so that people would come to know His Son as Saviour and Lord. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. But of course the ultimate fulfilment of that is not yet here. For now we are to some some extent still like Abraham, longing for a better city than the man-made communities around us. Looking around saying, there must be more than this. There's something wrong with this world. 
that one day John's vision of Revelation chapter 21 will be a reality. Listen to what he says. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. This is not like Cain's city. This is not like the mega cities of this world. It's not a city of superficial prosperity, but inward corruption. It's not a place of selfishness and sin or evil. It's not a place with skyscrapers, but also with slums. It's not a place of inequality and prejudice. It's not a place of fear and loneliness. It's not a place of abuse of power and crime. Instead, this is God's city where God dwells. Where God's comfort wipes away every tear. Where God's love fills every heart. Where God's glory is declared by every tongue. And it started here in Genesis. As people began to call on the name of the Lord. And it's still being built as God's people go out into the world and make disciples of all nations. God is building his city. So this morning we have a choice to make. Which city do you belong to? Which city are you going to follow? Which city are you going to feel at home in? Which city are you going to build? Are we going to try and fit in with this world and its man-made standards and man-focused ambitions? Or are we going to declare that we belong to a different city whose architect and builder is God? Through faith in Jesus, are we going to live by those different standards, follow a different plan, seek a different goal? Are we going to give our lives to building God's city? This is the decision that we all face. Just like when I finish with a verse from the writer of Hebrews. <coughs> it says this. Let us then go to him, that's to Jesus, Outside the camp, bearing the disgrace that he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come.